Ladies and gentlemen. It's like the third week in a row. It's cutting you out. I don't know if it is. I heard ladies and gentlemen. That's it. And then I heard your... I swear to God, Dave. That's no good. What's that? Check that notification for me real quick. Just make sure we're... Yeah, make sure so. we're good okay yeah sure i'll just pretend i didn't hear it that's fine did you hear it oh it's vibe from my desk ain't it <laughs> guys welcome back for another episode of it's too late i am your host alan mosley joined as always by the number one producer in late night it's dave willimowski dave how are you doing wow i'm used to being startled um i'm doing good you know it, it, it's the hottest day of the week here a, a oh sizzling 91 degrees i think today so yeah. The shop decided to give me four more hours of work just so I didn't miss it. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah and then that... I, yeah, and then I decided to give you some more work too. How about yeah, that? I'm glad we're all on the same page then. I just wasted time, anyways. Yeah. Uh, How are you? Speak. Yeah. Speaking of wasting time, have you ever seen the intros of our monologues? Like the fir- just the first forty-five seconds. <laughs> or do you or do you do like a lot of people do? You go back like you're you're listening on the podcast version and you just like click. The, the forward ahead 15 seconds button like to click 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 and then start the show yeah get to the good stuff yeah. let us know in chat if you do that i'm act- i'm not mad look i'm not mad yeah. just let us know if you fast forward to like the meme of the week it won't <laughs> it won't hurt my feelings um speaking of not hurting my feelings will he or won't he that was the question on everybody's mind as news broke that donald trump former president was con- he had said he's made up his mind on whether or not he's going to run president again. So we did a poll asking our viewers, which of these is the biggest reason you would not vote for Donald Trump in the 2024 election? Tied for first place was answer A, his appointment of swamp monsters such as John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, and Jeff Sessions. The candidate. Do we have a picture of those guys, Dave? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just just take the rest of the night off. It's fine. Uh, the candidate who ran on a platform of draining the swamp brought in three guys that would make Shrek blush. Uh, take John Bolton for instance, Trump's original national security advisor and the man responsible for talking Trump out of the Iran nuclear deal. That's the same John Bolton who had this to say about planning coup d'etats. Uh, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It was just stumbling around from one idea to another. Ultimately, he did unleash the rioters at the Capitol. As to that, there's no doubt. Not here, of course, but you know, other no. places. I, I love that. Not only does he just flippantly admit to interfering in sovereign nations around the globe, the way you and I would say we're out of mustache cream. But he also sounds like, did, did you sort of get a hint in his tone of voice that the only real problem he had with January 6th was that it wasn't it wasn't professional enough for his liking? <laughs> like, hey, you leave the insurrections to us, kid. Uh, then next you have Mike Pompeo, who was Trump's Secretary of State. Now, Dave, where do you suspect Donald Trump found Mike Pompeo? He was only the director of the CIA. Oh. Once again, this is a guy who's trying to drain the swamp and is afraid of the deep state. Last week, Mike Pompeo suggested a little buddy cop 
movie with Nancy Pelosi. Check out his tweet right here. He said, Nancy, I'll go with you. I'm banned in China, but not freedom-loving Taiwan. See you there. <laughs> he may have talked the talk when it came to America first, but it's hard to say that you're putting America first when you're courting World War III. Uh, last but not least, everyone's favorite, least favorite Keebler elf, that's <laughs> Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions. The same Jeff Sessions, who made a career out of being a drug warrior, seeking to destroy lives over marijuana, as well as strengthening the government's use of civil asset forfeiture, also known as stealing the private property of citizens who have not been found guilty of a crime. You know, the only seizures I support are the ones that Jeff Sessions should have so he can go meet his friend John <laughs> McCain in hell. Wow. Um, also tied for first place was the answer B on that poll. Massive spending increase and debt expansion. Check this out right here. The Trump administration added more than $7 trillion to the national debt. Now, before you go blaming Congress, Trump signed every single one of those spending bills put on his desk. And before you go blaming the unspecified virus of unknown origin, he actually had one of the biggest annual budget deficits ever, $984 billion in 2019 the year before the pandemic. Hmm. Uh, speaking of that pandemic, that was answer C. It was Trump that touted Operation Warp Speed, who only accomplished was sending money to Big Pharma at the speed of light. It didn't do anything else. He supported lockdowns long before he ever opposed them. He's even criticized state governors who he felt, quote, opened up too early. I can't imagine where he got all those bad ideas, by the way. Oh, another elf. Which brings us to answer number D, the pardons. Now, a blowhard like Dinesh D'Souza could get a pardon. Uh, do we have a picture of Dinesh D'Souza? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <That's, you know. laughs> oh, man. I mean, where's the lie, though? But there were no <laughs> pardons for the likes of Ross Ulbricht serving consecutive life sentences for building a website, or Edward Snowden one of the guys who helped reveal the crimes of that same damn swamp that we keep mentioning. The point I'm trying to make here is that for all, especially for you out there that are infected with MAGA pox, is the, if the only reason you really have left at this point to vote for Trump is that you're trying to own the libs, then don't wait until the general election to vote. You should vote in the primaries and nominate a better candidate before it's too late. Otherwise, you wind up with more of this. Oh. oh. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, on that note, guys, we're going to be back with the meme of the week in the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Stick around.
You know, I should probably say before I forget, we should talk about tonight's sponsor, Dave. Pack oh, yeah. Crest Botanicals, which you can find at packcrestbotanicals.com. Promo code, it's too late for 30% off. 30% off your CBD and Delta what? 8 needs. I've actually I've actually got some right here. This is the Ascend 3000. Can we get can we get a shot of that? Yeah, you're right. Totally dead. Yeah, this it's a real Great pick problem. me up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'd be dead if yeah. Like this is <laughs> this is me buzzed, you know. Like, <laughs> I it's I feel like we should put like yeah. a little like results may vary thing at the bottom. Like yeah. I don't want people to not buy it because they're thinking I don't want to be like Alan Jesus. Alan's no. not normal. No. Yeah. Like do, do you think do you think people at home like when they see me smile they they see the smile but they can also see just the soulless dead eyes and they know it's all fake do you think they can tell i don't know you're getting pretty good at it okay i, I mean i try to put on a good face but strong yeah. face uh anyway that's patcrestbotanicals.com promo code it's too late uh hey dave yes alan <laughs> what time is it? I'm all excited. It's time for meme of the week. Wow, that is exciting. Wait. I oh. can't believe I have monkeypox. How did this happen? <laughs> the whole month of June. I should really look over these first. I wasn't ready for that. What are you talking about? No, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. Uh, but we do have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. I didn't say I was going to Taiwan. I said I was going to tie one on. That's real good. I didn't see that. You ever you ever tied one on, Dave? I've, I've been known to every once in a while. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll revisit that. <laughs> uh, sure we will. Boy, but we have such an amazing guest tonight that we gotta we gotta stay we gotta keep our foot on the gas pedal yeah. because awesome awesome guest. It's actually going to be coming in to talk about Nancy Pelosi and her trip to China. But before we do that. Let's answer the viewer mail. <laughs> you guys still making that show? <laughs> I thought you might like that. It used to say it's a ketchup a smoothie. Now it says you guys still making that show. Do you think that we have too many inside jokes and so it, it's off-putting to new viewers? Or do you think people just sort of settle in? Yeah, they settle in, and they, then they probably go back to figure out what the joke's all about. Okay. Sure. Oh, all right. Uh, Keith McQuarrie writes, Dear Alan and Dave, How do you like your mashed potatoes served? Plain? Butter only? Butter and sour cream? Loaded? Skin versus no skin? Etc. Mashed Are potatoes. You a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm carb-free now, so I haven't done it in a while, but I like my mashed potatoes just like the whole plate of potatoes mm -hmm. and then fill the little crater in the middle with green peas preferably from a can so they're super smushy and then you just fill it all in with gravy and that's oh just heaven. just heaven yeah i'm not really a big mashed potatoes guy i like potatoes all gratin oh yeah bang it yeah yeah potatoes which is really yeah which is really just another way of saying can i just slather cheese and cream on everything i eat that's that's a winning strategy I mean, yes. not your, but yeah. I mean, that that was the old Alan. That's that's not that's not. <laughs> no, it's me too. Um, Eric Eli writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, what is the dumbest meme you have saved to your phone?" Oh my! God. I don't. I don't even God. save 
stuff to my phone. Do you save a lot of stuff to your phone? I I usually steal a lot of memes, save it to my phone, post it somewhere else, but I never look at them again. So uh, mm-hmm. off, I couldn't think of the the dumbest one that I have, and I I miss this one. Yeah, I mean, because because I don't think it's like it it depends on your definition of of who's saving it to your phone. Like I just wait for yeah. other people to send me memes that they think are funny, and then I just use them for meme of the week and viewer mail and take credit. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have this one on there that popped in my head just now. It's it looks like a Harlequin like novel cover, uh-huh. and it's some dude in the in the chick with like the flowing like skimpy dress, and and he's like, "I love you, baby, but damn those Taco Bell farts." Like a nice print. So I got that'd probably be it. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Mary, did you get all that? Uh, Andrew Avery writes, "Dear Alan and Dave." Has your summer gone swimmingly? Oh. Dave, Dave, your summer going all right? It's going really good. We got it. We got a, a bigger pool this year. We've been using the, the heck out of it. So yeah. yeah, it is going swimmingly. Yeah, um, I haven't gone swimming this this year. Oh, I'm, I think I'm going to come up to y'all's place. Yeah, come and hang out in the little pool. Yeah. No, because by the time I get there, it'll be like negative seventeen degrees. You yeah. people live in the North Pole or something ridiculous. All right. Uh, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if you if you weren't white, what other race would you choose to be? Well, that ain't too bad for Ryan. Yeah, I mean, he means well. Yeah. You know, like it was like we know it's it's not polite, but he just was just trying to ask a question. Yeah, he's, he's helping. Yeah. So, you, do you have a you have an answer for that, Dave? Or just I don't know. I guess Asian. They're cool. They look yeah. different. Yeah. Oh. Oh. They, they will do what you want. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I actually like Jonathan's answer in the thread where he says, "I'm going to go with Vulcan." Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I didn't realize we could pick fantasy races, but now that that's on the table, yeah, that'd be awesome. You know what's funny is that for our for our like hardcore Star Trek fans out there, I was riding with a car with some friends recently that that we were visiting, and we were talking about what race we would be, and I had said, well, me being a sociopath, you know, I think Vulcan makes sense because they're always yeah. trying to suppress their emotions, mm-hmm. but everyone in the car realized, no, you'd be a Romulan, so because it's very much like a Vulcan, but you're evil. Oh, and and first I got mad, and then I realized, damn. Yeah. They know you. Yeah, they do know me. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Michael Clark writes, Dear Alan and Dave, a SWAT team has shown up at your house and given you 30 minutes to surrender. We got a whole backstory to this question. Stay with it. (laughs) The end is surely nigh. You go into the kitchen and decide to have a last meal. Based on the actual contents of your kitchen at this moment, what is your last meal? Like, you could have just asked that. You didn't have to do the whole... <laughs> the whole story. Okay. So, based on the actual contents of your kitchen right now, Dave, what's your last meal? Sadly, it's it's Papa John's, which is kind of cool because um, I've been keto, so I haven't had pizza in a while. So, I mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to hurt to eat two whole pizzas. And yeah. Go with that. And then go out guns blazing. 
Yeah. Yeah, but do you is is that what you want? Like, do you want to do you want that in the article that this guy went out guns blazing after he had Papa John? <laughs> <laughs> that that is kind of pressing. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Oh God, probably just some ravioli. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Mine's worse. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's That's Chef Boyardee. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. At least you can have the ravioli and then use the empty can as a improv, you know, like improvise. I, I don't know. We're on the list, I think. Yeah, there's no. Did you see that? Did you see that they now have added uh, anarcho capitalists and the ANCAP flag to the uh, like FBI watch list? Did you see that? I, I did see that. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to so, have to sticker off my car. <laughs> I, I don't they, yeah like they yeah i don't have a car <laughs> all right um jonathan carranza writes dear alan and dave do you think the boston tea party would have happened if the british drank coffee instead of tea at the time could coffee people bring themselves to do that to coffee oh i don't know if the colonials were that dependent on like chemi- you know, chemicals to live their lives like people are today you know those buggers love their tea though yeah see that's it like you're 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 thinking of it as coffee people but they were tea people so that was i bet they were crying that was a sacrifice yeah yeah exactly cheap tea how are we doing on time are we doing all right um 18 we've got a couple more minutes I'm still pissed off that, like, no one got any of our notifications until, like, the first commercial break. So everyone missed the greatest monologue we've ever done. They'll go back and rewatch it. Make sure that they uh, comment. No, like, no, don't you lie to me. That No one has ever gone back and rewatched anything we've ever done. One time's enough. Everybody gets one. You're going to go on Apple Podcasts and like and review the show. They do that. Yeah, they as in one person. <laughs> Everyone should subscribe to the show, though. You know, like on all the platforms we're on. I, I would like, like, yeah, do we have, I think we have somewhere else in the show where we have a list. I can't be bothered to remember right now. <laughs> Poor Sarah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Carl Huber writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what exactly is the universe expanding into? And is the earth shaped like a donut and the moon was the hole? I like that idea. The Earth is not just flat; it's a it's 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 a disc with a hole in it. See, the, actually, yeah, the the hollow Earth theory mm-hmm. is is pretty big, and and they mm-hmm. believe that there's giant holes on the top and the bottom that you can get into the inner levels of the Earth. So that's basically donut shaped, and and that could have been caused okay. by the. I'm yeah, sorry. I, no, that's fine. I'm just I, let me just <laughs> stop you right there because it's getting close to that time, and you're oh, yeah. you're saying words. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. Have that's not that's we don't need those people dave <laughs> jesus all right uh we're gonna have to hurry up here uh aaron kittner writes dear alan and dave on an average day how many pigeons do you think you could reasonably carry pit pigeons dave how many can you carry reasonably yeah uh, i don't want to look like cool so i'll say six i'm gonna say no more than one because they're they're gonna shit all over you um okay. marilyn Wimlowski writes dear alan and dave have oh. you ever ridden in a helicopter dave mary wants to go on a helicopter ride maybe Make it happen. but no I have not okay. yet. Make it happen. Uh, and Andrew Avery, Andrew Avery, apparently we have a bonus from Andrew Avery. If you need another and inspired by Mary, have you ever jumped out of an airplane? That sounds retarded. Yeah. Who yeah, would no. do? That's dumb. People are psycho. All right. You, you better work on that helicopter ride. Uh, guys, right. we're going to be back with Patrick McFarlane of the Libertarian Institute. 
right after this first break. Stick around. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening is the host of the Liberty Weekly podcast, which you can find at libertyweekly.net. He's also an attorney and researcher taking deep dives on libertarian topics and also the Justin Raimondo Fellow at the Libertarian Institute. How about you get a few more things for me to read? Jesus, man. Patrick McFarlane, welcome back to the show. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me back on. Patrick, you've been on a couple times, and I think every time you've been on, we we had some predetermined topics to discuss, but I know something that you write about a lot and you're passionate about is foreign policy, and particularly uh, relations with China. And we've never really had time to dive into that. And we're probably still not going to talk about alleged Uyghur genocide today either. I'm sorry to tell you that. But everybody's talking in the news about our wonderful Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, making a trip to Taiwan. So we're going to start there. What do you make, broad strokes, what do you make about Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan? Well, I think it's incredibly dangerous, and I think it marks the Biden administration. It's a multi-administrational you know, policy towards China, moving away from this idea of strategic ambiguity and the one-China policy that has really uh, been the bare bones of you know, the foundation of U.S.-China policy since 1979, uh, when the United States really began a rapprochement with, with China. At that time, it was an effort to kind of pry China away from Russia in, in kind of a, maybe what could have been a, a, a reunification after the Sino-Soviet split in, I believe, the 50s and 60s. Now, I know a lot has been made of official remarks from Chinese officials in regards to Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, um, uh, promising repercussions, saying that there would be consequences for her actions, uh, strongly suggesting she should not visit the state. Um, do you think that, they're, that that's mostly just hot air and political posturing, or do you think that th this is a genuine existential threat? I think it's a fair mix of both because, of course, you have China always saying extreme things. Um, usually what their rhetoric go ramps up when the United States sends diplomatic envoys to Taiwan. Um, now, it's unofficial, uh, but the United States on paper has an unofficial diplomatic relationship with Taiwan. But officially, they have no diplomatic relationship with Taiwan. But throughout the years, they have been doing de facto diplomacy with Taiwan. So when the United States does things specifically to recognize or to legitimize the uh, sovereignty of Taiwan as an independent country, that is when China gets the most upset. And that is when we see the most drastic responses, actual kinetic military responses. Now, when I say kinetic, I mean they launch missiles across the strait that land close to Taiwan, or they'll conduct um, 
you know, increasingly invasive uh, patrols through the area or they will fly warplanes in the Taiwanese air defense identification zone, which is not the same as legal airspace. Uh, one thing that you might see all over the place in right-wing media is, oh, China flew, you know, 23 planes in Taiwan's airspace. While what they're referring to is the the um, air defense identification zone, which actually is a huge arbitrary line that overlaps mainland China in a, to a large degree. And so technically, the PLA could have airplanes on the runway in Fuchan province, which is the Chinese province directly across from Taiwan. And they would technically be violating the ADIZ uh, because it's an arbitrary designation. So there's a whole lot to unpack there, Alan. Now, kind of looking at sort of the domestic political angle here, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi has been a, a chief leader of the Democratic Party for decades. And if you were to read any recent political news here in the States, you would think that there was a battle of an existential circumstances between the right-wing and left-wing politics in the United States. And yet, you have GOP leaders cheering on Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, saying that it's a great thing, saying that they support her actions despite what official Biden administration talking points might be about Taiwan's relationship with the United States. How, how, does, how does that come to be? It, what, it, does it amaze you that China is what is the topic that can bring right-wing and left-wing political leaders together? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, like, like I said, um, the, the pivot to Asia happened under Obama, and the, the United States kind of gearing up a new Cold War with China and Russia, but specifically with China, has been a bipartisan foreign policy consensus that really began under Obama. It, it kind of stagnated for a few years, uh, was picked up in earnest under Trump, and then Biden has just increased a lot of Trump's policies, which is, uh, I've mentioned a lot before on my shows, but surrounding China with military bases, creating military alliance with China's neighbors, having other European countries and other countries in, in theater conduct joint military operations with the United States, fly, uh, sailing, sailing warships through the Taiwan Strait at the rate of about once per month for the last couple of years, training Taiwanese military, um, doing, doing all these escalatory measures really to increase tension on China, accusing China of genocide on the world stage, which is something that we mentioned earlier but won't get to today. And I, I wanted to add something to an earlier point because you asked, is this really dangerous or is China just saying things to, to bluster and puff out its chest. And I said it's kind of a mix of the two, but I don't, want to, I don't want to diminish the actual alarm and point of crises that we're at right now, because we are at a point of crisis in the Taiwan Strait. This is the fourth time that this has occurred. Uh, the first crisis happened in early 1950s when you had the Korean War going on in the United States, recognizing the authority, um, the sovereignty of Taiwan at that time, because this goes all the way back to 1949 when Chiang Kai-shek and um, had lost to the communists in the mainland China and fled to the island of Taiwan and ruled that country. And, or, well, at the time, the United States recognized Taiwan as being a country. My stance is that the United States has no position on whether or not Taiwan is a country. I'm sure we'll address that 
a little bit later. But so the first crisis happened in the 50s. The United States presented um, um, the president at the time, whose name escapes me, Eisenhower, um, with options for military strikes inside China. But he declined that. Then in the in the 1950s, a few years later, you had another major crisis with, I think, China moving on certain islands surrounding Taiwan. Well, that stagnated for a while, but the third crisis happened in the 1990s when the then president of Taiwan, Li Tenghui, uh, was issued a visa to speak at his alma mater in the United States at Cornell University, and he was received by U.S. Dip US uh, congressmen there. He gave the speech where he talked about Taiwan being a thriving democracy and kind of hinted at Taiwanese independence. And that majorly um, really irritated and, and aggravated China. So they started conducting these rocket firing exercises where they would shoot uh, surface to surface missiles at Taiwan, which landed closer and closer to Taiwan over the span of four to five months. And the United States responded by sailing two aircraft carriers through the Strait of Taiwan. And there was a bunch of, of um, brinksmanship between the United States and China when finally uh, it had been going on between 1995 to 1996. And they had kind of a rapprochement and thankfully were able to de-escalate tensions in the area. But over that time, uh, China deployed 150,000 of their soldiers to Fujian across the strait from Taiwan. And we're seeing an escalation picking up right where 1996 left off. Uh, China has actually, in response to Nancy Pelosi coming to Taiwan, has began military drills in the waters around Taiwan, sometimes encroaching on Taiwan's actual, um, their legal waters. I think, I, I don't know if that's 10 or 20 miles off of the coast. But this is a, a huge escalation and a new low, maybe the lowest point in U.S.-China relations in modern history. And it's incredibly dangerous. So thanks thanks for indulging me there, Alan. Oh, no problem. I, well, something that came to mind there is I, how complicated or more complex is the issue when you look at things from a global economic standpoint? Uh, when you when you look at economic trade, when you look at the massive amount of products that are being imported in the United States that are made overseas, particularly in the East, particularly in places like China, um, uh, of course, you know the uh, the United States exports stuff too, mostly debt, but uh, that that relationship economically exists, and obviously it only stands to reason that it would be hurt when diplomatic or political uh, relationship between the countries. Uh, degrades. Do you see that playing a major part of tensions going into the future? Can can economics save this, or are we reaching a point where a, a decoupling has to happen? Well, that's one of the reasons why I oppose the populist right so strongly, because although they don't openly call for war with China. Almost nobody is openly calling for war with China. But that's one thing that they'll tell you is, oh, no one's advocating for war with China. We just want to completely decouple from them economically. And the United States and China are two, each, each country respectively is one of the biggest trading partners of the other country. So we depend on China uh, immensely for lots of our cheap consumer goods that raise our standard of living by providing products at cheap prices. 
uh, for regular people to consume. And one thing that Dave DeCamp uh, really notified me of when I started talking to him about this topic, and he really alarmed me about it a few years ago, was that this economic decoupling probably has to happen before any major war between the United States and China could conceivably take place. And of course, that's because we rely on each other so heavily for for staple items. And I had Joseph Solis Mullen on my show uh, a couple weeks af a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this. And he pointed out just exactly how dependent China itself is on foreign on imports for staple goods, because China itself, I think he said on my show, don't don't quote me, look this up, but that China has less. Um, less successful agricultural land per square mile than Saudi Arabia does. So it would stand to reason then that if they import a lot of their staple uh, food items, uh, the United States or the collective West blockading China or putting harsh, harsh sanctions on them, a la what we've seen in Russia, actually wouldn't, um, it would hurt them a lot more than it has Russia. And with Russia, we've seen it backfire a lot. So I, I think it stands to reason that the economic part connecting uh, the economic relations connecting the United States with, with China is a huge barrier to conflict. But we see a lot of hawks trying to eliminate that linkage and get the United States more, um, I don't know, dependent on other countries for our staple items, because certainly the regulations in our country and the lockdowns have kneecapped us from being able to support ourselves on that front. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate here with you, uh, Patrick, a little bit because you 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 mentioned sort of opposing the populist right wing and and the nationalists who would perhaps may, maybe a short way to put it is is that they what they're advocating would set the stage for future more serious uh, disagreements between the two countries. Uh, I I want to read for you a few different a few different positions that are very commonly heard and, and get your get your perspective. The first one is, and this is for our libertarian audience out there specifically, the Chinese Communist Party is evil, Patrick. They're just awful. And supporting Taiwanese self-determination and independence is the libertarian position. What do you say to that? Well, when I hear this, I think a lot about Jeff Deist and speeches that he gave when I was a, a very new libertarian talking about uh, being against libertarian universalism. Because, um, and, and that is to say that we only have, it's, it's that liberation is not the goal. Self-determination is the goal. And as someone sitting in the United States, of course, I have sympathy for people who want freedom and liberty all across the globe. But what is my role as a Roman living in the Roman Empire? What is my goal in assisting them in that pursuit? And I have, I have no role to play in that as a member of the United States. And, and a lot of this is, well, do you live in Ancapistan in your head? I mean, to borrow a talking point um, from some libertarian detractors. But I, I think it's, it's apt here because we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a, um, we live in a world where the United States is the global hegemon. And when the United States says we want to bring freedom and democracy, first off, well, we don't have freedom and democracy that we really can bring to other nations. We've destroyed that at home. But you can't spread freedom and democracy at the barrel of the gun. You can't do it by instigating these regime change operations that leave countries in complete turmoil uh, with 
failed states, and we have plenty of examples of those in um, you know Iraq being one and Libya being another one, and there's the laundry list just goes on and on. So we don't have the ability to liberate these people. Um, we don't have the freedom to give to them, and everything that we do just makes things a whole lot worse. So I, I wish these people well. I mean, I I wouldn't even airdrop copies of Foreign New Liberty in in these countries. The United States has no part in this to play, no part that's good, and we should just mind our own business and and let freedom organically develop. And and moreover. People in these countries might not want freedom, and I'm not one to impose freedom on on these people. Uh, by the way, uh, around here we call those LEOs, Liberty Enforcement Officers. Yeah, <laughs> it's the the Liberty Enforcement Officers are the ones who are going to enforce. I mean, if you break it down, they're just enforcing their worldview upon others with with nary a care in the world uh, about the political pendulum swinging the other way and those guns being pointed right back at them. Uh, I, 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 I do want to point out really quick before we move on to the next devil's advocate point that when you read a phrase like supporting Taiwanese self-determination, the, the, the real crux of the argument is, is define the word supporting, right? What do you mean by supporting? I, I mean, I support everyone's self-determination and independence so much as I want it for them. But I, I think you I think, Patrick, you make an interesting point that when you're a Roman citizen in the Roman Empire, do do we have the liberty to give other people? As as you know, is that a consumer good that we can export? You would say no. Right, it's not. It's not something that we can export. I mean, especially at the point of a gun. But like I said, if 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 we're in the situation where we we are trying to impose liberty or we're trying to instigate some kind of coup in a certain country, um, it, it's like artificially messing with the market you know we we know that as libertarians and i guess this is a really libertarian specific argument but we know that there is a natural order that comes about when when you leave people organically decentralized fashion to to create um to transact with each other consensually and when you mess with that you have unintended consequences and that's exactly what happens when we mess with the governments of other other countries. And moreover, the people in those countries don't get a say about the matter. And I, I wanted to point out that when people say that we are, when we are supporting liberty and democracy in Taiwan, well, that's not always the case because the, the, the Republic of China government, I, I believe they had martial law for a long stretch of, of time from 1949 until the 80s. And so it's clearly not about um, supporting liberty and democracy as much as it is just encircling China. I'm going I'm to hit you with another one here, Patrick. Somebody, somebody is going to dominate the globe. It's just the way of the world. So if someone's going to do it, it might as well be the United States. American hegemony is good for the world. Do you agree with that statement? No, absolutely I don't, but I I struggle to understand exactly it, it's like you Tim Pool talks about this all the time, which is somewhat uh -oh. I've criticized. Here we go. But I think I think it's a fair point to make. It's like, you know, we're all in a movie theater and we're all watching one screen, but half of the people in the movie theater are watching um one film and the other half are watching a different film even though they're watching the same screen. So 
I, I just don't know. There's never really any, any talking, any evidence really to support this argument that the United States, because what's the alternative? Well, we, we have no idea what the alternative is because the United States has been the world hegemon for the last 60, you know, ever since World War II. Um, and we have nothing to compare it to. What we do have are concrete examples of the United States, um, you know, risking world annihilation by competing with uh, other nuclear powers, starting proxy wars on their doorstep that have the risk of obliterating all life on this planet, not to mention all the regime change operations where the United States has, has killed people with impunity, uh, in, imposed sanctions on countries that don't fall in order, killing hundreds of thousands of civilians. Um, and, and that's just the reality of it. So I, I don't know, I guess you could say, well, things would be a lot worse if, if we just had a different policy. So therefore, you know, we have to keep trying this policy. I, I think it's just a fallacious argument that's supported by, um, just anecdotes, assertions. Speaking of that, uh, I know you and I are both Ron Paul guys and, and something that we discussed just the other day was that the non-interventionism was a key component of the Ron Paul revolution is under, understanding the difference between isolationism and non-interventionism. Uh, really just being anti-war, anti-war as a central plank of whatever policy you might be building. But there are people who say this, non-interventionism non doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because appeasement and validation of dictators doesn't make for a peaceful world. Patrick, you got, you got to have an iron fist with these monsters. Do you agree with that? Well, I, that is often said to, as, as like, I don't know, it's used as a whip. That statement is used as a whip to say that our current leaders are not being tough enough because, you know, one thing Tim Pool says a lot specifically is that, well, Russia and China never would have moved on Ukraine and Taiwan if Donald Trump were president because Trump told Xi and Putin that if you move on Ukraine and Taiwan respectively, I'm going to nuke Moscow and Beijing. And that's just what's going to happen. So they're always using this rhetoric to say that our leaders are too weak and that's the problem. We need to be more hawkish and more aggressive because, and then these problems wouldn't happen when instead, I, I think that objectively, if you look at these administrations, you see that uh, particularly Trump and, and Biden have been extremely aggressive towards Russia and China. I mean, Trump left nuclear arms control treaties with Russia. He, he, um, he used, he sent these, um, what is it? These shoulder fired rockets to, to Ukraine, uh, in use against the Russian military when even Obama wouldn't do that. He had new bases in Poland, ramping up all these exercises in, in the black sea in, uh, Eastern Europe with NATO flying B, you know, simulating nuclear strikes on Moscow. I think I don't know if Biden did that, but there's all these examples, you know, of ways that that Trump and Biden have been incredibly hawkish towards Russia and China. And in that talking point that, oh, well, you know, we we can't just appease dictators. Well, have have we haven't even tried appeasing dictators. What we've been doing is is being as hawkish as as you would like to be. That's what's objectively is happening. So I just think that's a garbage argument. Well, I think I know an easy analogy to make um, that I've seen going around the Internet is, is that 
when whenever particularly as it relates to China and Taiwan is that at the end of the day China is pursuing its own quote unquote vital interests in the South China Sea and while you and I might not agree with China or 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 the methods in which it pursues its quote unquote vital interests the fact of the matter is is that they're doing it and they're doing it in the South China Sea and how is that any different than, say, the United States pursuing its vital interests in the Gulf of Mexico or, you know, turning an eye to Cuba? What uh, I know these analogies have been made before, but, you know, what what would the United States think if Russia was building military bases, you know, just south of the Rio Grande? What would the United States think if... Uh, China was sailing aircraft carriers into the Gulf of Mexico because they were concerned about, you know, democracy <laughs> in Cuba. What would the United States think about that? Well, here's where you're wrong, Alan. You're wrong. Uh-oh. <laughs> you're wrong because the United States is special. We are ordained by God that our people are here to provide liberty and democracy to the globe. And that's the way it is. So we can't turn the tables, Alan, and think about how we would feel if other countries did what we're doing because they're not special. We are exceptional. We are the exceptional nation. That is the United States. And the the world oceans are our lakes. And all we need to do is, you know, keep peace and order, make sure those trade routes are open and completely obliterate anyone who might want to have their own region of influence in their near abroad. One one last little point here, Patrick, before we wrap up, is I, I know there's been a lot of talk about how the the uh, U.S. armed forces are scrambling a bit right now because recruitment's down. They're not able to meet their recruitment goals, I think, across any of the major branches of the military. And they're discussing ways that they, you know, we got to pump up those numbers. Is Do you sort of see that kind of like the 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 invisible hand of the market making itself known that if if the US military is unable to recruit at the levels that they would like that that's sort of a, a way of young potential military recruits telling telling the US empire we don't want to be a part of this yeah i hope so and i think i wrote a little piece on this talking about the battle of the somme in world war 1 and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, the Battle of the Somme was one of the largest battles of all time. Uh, the British, on the first day of the battle, lost almost, um, I think it was 20,000 soldiers, 10 or 20,000 soldiers in the bloodiest day. Uh, I think over the course of the battle, it lasted maybe like six months that the British ended up losing like 80,000 soldiers uh, to casualties and uh, KIAs. And I was, my whole point was, how would the United States react today if there was a battle with similar casualties? And I think one of my main points was that I think, judging by the COVID reaction, I think that society would grind to a halt, that we would just cease to function because we're so soft nowadays. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing in a way because the United States as a nation, we're so casualty adverse. And we've never really had to face real casualties since the Vietnam War. Uh, but even even then, they weren't as large as some conflicts like, like World War II and World War I. And if that were to happen today, I just don't know how society would react if we had one battle of the Somme. If the United States gets in some kind of, um, some kind of military kinetic engagement with the PLA around Taiwan, 
if we lose one aircraft carrier, that's 3,000 soldiers, 3,000 seamen, rather, uh, sailors that we would lose in the span of a couple hours. That's more than we lost on 9-11. So the stakes here are incredibly high for the United States. I mean, not to mention the risk of nuclear war or some kind of real prolonged conflict with China. And um, so I, I really, I hope that this trend continues, but it, it'd be interesting to see how the the military addresses it in terms of will they reinstitute a draft? And and now we have yes. freedom and equality of having women and men qualify for the draft. Unless I'm mistaken, am I right about that, Alan? That women have to register? I yeah, I think that that I think that that did ultimately pass. I, I think with roaring uh, approval from our our left wing friends, because goodness knows we all have to be uh, enslaved and sent into the trenches equally. Um, you know. It, in in a weird collapsitarian sort of way, Patrick, I I love legislation like that because I think that there's a lot more people waking up. A lot of your middle America type people who were perfectly content to tie the ribbons on their trees and perfectly content to always say, "Well, I might not agree with the government, but I'm going to support the troops." A lot of those people are suddenly saying, "You're not having my daughter." Yeah, and you know what? If if that's what it took to get you to bow your back to these people, then, you know, I'm glad it happened. But I, I, I want to say this, and I'm going to let you have the, the, the final word. If history teaches us anything, is that in, in these, in, these imperialist ambitions, these, these globetrotting empires don't last. And, and I know that folks like you and I might say that, look, this, the American empire is going to collapse I, and and I've always thought it won't collapse because of external enemies. It'll it'll collapse under the weight of its own debt and hubris. That's what'll happen. But in, and if China tries to fill that void, it'll happen to them too. But I think what's way more important for true liberty-minded folks who are truly anti-war to understand is is we want to minimize and and negate any potential wide-ranging worldwide conflicts that could lead superpowers into war. Because if we truly believe that empires will collapse on their own, then we want there to be a world left over for the people to enjoy when those empires are done globetrotting. Yeah, and I I mean, there's there's a whole lot to that. But I, I don't believe that, personally, I don't believe that China has the ability to become a world empire. I, with, with the way that their economy is set up, and, and I'll refer again to my episode that I just did with uh, Joseph Solis Mullen to talk about the, the sheer economics of it. But, you know, David Stockman is someone we all appreciate and respect, and he's been calling China the Red Ponzi for decades. And I, I think it's just a matter of, of, of time. But I, I don't honestly believe that China has the ability to really be a world empire. I, I think they will struggle, honestly, to to have hegemony over their near abroad even. And so I and I don't understand why we can't have normal relations with these countries, why Russia and China can't be welcome to the world stage, um, why why we, we can't be happy about two nations who have rising standards of living for their people and enough um, power on the world stage to really, you know, maybe we could bring in, if we just got along, maybe we could bring in some kind of economic golden age for the earth. And I think that the powers that shouldn't be probably have some alter alternative plan because one thing I don't cover a whole lot, but I always like to say exists 
is the fact that you know we're looking at the 2D chessboard to to use the analogy but there is powers in this world that transcend national borders and moneyed financial interests that are behind both sides of this conflict just like every conflict in the history of of mankind so it's interesting to see how those things interplay and in terms of what the end game is we can only speculate but i do fear that there is a uh, that part of that end game involves a real conflict between the united states and china and russia and in the broader West as well, and and so to tu- to to end and touch on the point that we're at now, right? Um, I, I mentioned before the Taiwan Relations Act in 1979 really outlined what's been called strategic ambiguity, and that right now the United States' reputation for not sticking with that strategic ambiguity, at least saying about saying that they're adhering to those principles. Um, our credibility is thrown out the window because our lips say one thing and our actions do another one. And our actions have said that we will support Taiwan and we will intervene in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Um, And Pelosi going to the island has completely destroyed any credibility that we have with China. Uh, Even Biden thought it was not a good idea. The Pentagon thought it was a good idea, but I think they tacitly approved of the trip because they did absolutely nothing to stop it. So now we have um, a crisis, the fourth Taiwan Strait crisis going on. The PLA is doing all these military drills surrounding the island of Taiwan. I think that sanctions and a total blockade of the island will follow. And this crisis could last for months, just like the, the third Taiwan crisis did in the 90s. And so this morning, Nancy Pelosi left Taiwan. She left Taiwan in the lurch where now there's she she kicked off a huge firestorm. Now she's leaving. See ya. Peace. Don't give a shit about you. Um, and and so that's the situation that we're at. And uh, it doesn't look very good, Alan. Boy, I you, I wonder if Pelosi cares as much about her constituents in San Francisco as she does about the Taiwanese people. Yeah. Right. Well, the truth <laughs> is, she doesn't give a shit about either of them. Okay. <laughs> well, Patrick, we're out of time. I promise someday we will talk about all the poor Uyghurs being genocided. Oh, man. Do you want people to hate you? <laughs> hate me? You, you say, do I want, as if it's, a, it's not a current frame of existence. Patrick, <laughs> where can people go to support you and hear more about these topics? Yeah, well, you can go to my uh, membership website at libertyweekly.club where I have a newsletter where I send out preprints of my articles and bonus content there. Um, otherwise, you can catch my articles at the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com. They're usually rerun at antiwar.com. So that's where you can find me, libertyweekly.club, libertyweekly.net. Patrick, we're going to get you out of here on this one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Is a waffle... A cake. Is a waffle a cake? No. Is that the right answer? Oh, no, Patrick. Unfortunately, a waffle is simply a cake. Patrick, we've got to shame our friends and brothers who eat cake for breakfast. Pancakes and waffles are both cakes. They are cakes, huh? They call it a Belgian waffle. Is that because it has, like, I don't know, they put some kind of oil in it to make it poof up? Is that the definition of a cake? But it sounds like some fucking commie gobbledygook. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, Patrick, you you did your best. I, we we flailed here in the bonus round, but thanks so much for being back on the show, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too, Alan. Thanks, guys. We're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Stick around. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page youtube.com slash alan mosley tv also you can get us on odyssey go and support a free speech platform it's odyssey it's too late with alan mosley or at alan mosley tv if you're more of a listener than a watcher you can get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to anchor fm that's anchor.fm slash alan mosley tv uh hi adam glad you could be here tonight <laughs> uh dave do you have a final thought oh final thought um it's awesome having patrick mcfarland on um I love Family Guy. It's cool that he made time in his schedule to come in. Right? Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. Um, We're out of time. What do you think? After party? Definitely. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ooh, definitely. Nice. After party's on Twitch, everybody. But if you're not there, thank you so much for watching It's Too Late. And we will see you next week. That's cool that came on. You know, I was going to send you a picture earlier today when I was running errands because I was going to tell you that we, we hit a cold spell. It wasn't in the hundreds anymore because on my dash it said 99. That's disgusting. Nah, what? you don't. Oh. You get used to it. A human, too. Yeah. You're like just trying to find out if you're still alive, you know. Seven. Yeah. I don't hear anything you're saying right now. What the hell? It's... <laughs>